This is Song. And this is Sarah. This is Epping Ethical, where we try to make sense of all the choices facing consumers every day. Welcome back, everyone, to Effing Ethical. Today, we are going to be talking about something that is uh, very prominent in the minds of both Song and I um, as we think about our own futures or even our day-to-day, and that is debt. Uh, We are both graduates from the Yale School of Management, as we've talked about before. So on the one hand, we think about debt as a tool, a tool for a business, tool for individuals. Um, On the other hand, it's like this real thing that we have to deal with that affects kind of how we make all of our decisions. Um, And so knowing that there's other consumers that either have to take on debt, um, maybe with something like healthcare, taking on medical debt, um, or people just making the hard decisions to take out student debt, for example. Um, it's, It's a complicated thing that has both a lot of emotion associated with it and some kind of practical, how do you calculate or estimate the outcomes of making this decision? So yeah, decided we would talk about that today. So Song, how are you feeling about debt today? (laughs) Oh, God. Um, So when I first started thinking about um, this episode, and uh, I think the reason that one of the the reasons that I like suggested it's because everyone's been like talking about Squid Game and being in Korea, where I see like, the, you know, um, the situation where, you know, housing, right, I think the average price of an apartment in Seoul is like $1.2 million. And the average like starting salary of someone who, you know, doesn't work for a Samsung or something like that is like $24,000. And what that means for like our economy, um, and like the inequality that's like growing so vastly, you know, kind of by the day, um, And so, you know, people, I think if you read sort of, um, sorry, that was my mom sneezing. I don't know if you hear that. It's Um, cool. My dog's just barking in the background. Okay. I'm like, I tried. Life during COVID, what can we do? (laughs) Um, Yeah, but I, you know, I feel like I've seen all these like articles in um, like American news media outlets talking about how Squid Game is this like, uh, you know, it's like a, what's the word I'm looking for? Also, my English, I feel like is slipping having been in Korea for half of the year and speaking Korean only. um, So I apologize in advance. But um, it's like a commentary on um, sort of the state of debt and indebtedness and inequality. Um, and so it's like made me reflect a lot more on sort of why I made the choices that I've made, what it means for our family to be from a country that, you know, is set up in this way because of like our recent sort of um, the recent post-war related history um, and everything sort of that came uh, after that, right? Like the very fast, quick industrialization, um, thanks to, or no thanks to, right? The, um, the, di- the dictator that we had in the 70s and his relationship with like the Tebor, which is the family conglomerates, all of that. So um, I've been thinking a lot about sort of my personal history 
my family's personal history with immigration and sort of why I've made the career and personal choices that I, I've made. So um, debt is something that like feels honestly like quite triggering and loaded. Um, but yeah, also something that I'm trying to be better about like, you know, processing and, you know, speaking out loud about and, you know, knowing that it's not just like me that struggles with this in our generation, but um, that hopefully it's something that, yeah, we like at the collective can sort of talk about and find a way to make, you know, as you mentioned, right, like to make more of just like as a tool and not something that becomes oppressive for folks. Mm -hmm. I feel like since we're talking about a lot of this from like a personal perspective, um, I think a good place to start is on student debt, since that's like the biggest chunk of both of our debts. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, it we have, I don't know, like, we don't have the typical American student debt, like the typical American student debt. Um, I think it's like 20 to $30,000. It's like from undergrad. Um, and that, I mean, that's an average, right? There's like these huge ranges. Like we specifically went to a school that has a very high average income, um, annual income right out of school and like really high earning potential afterwards. So that really changes the calculation of thinking of debt almost like an investment in yourself as opposed to debt for undergrad is a little bit more associated with just access to that education, um, which I think is really interesting to sort of acknowledge, like, we have a lot of student debt. It's also like graduate school debt. And that's, um, that was a different decision than having to take some or a majority of undergrad out in debt. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. Um, I think yeah, what you said about um, investment in self, I like it. Um, uh, I don't, again, I don't know the English word for this. In Korean, we call it like silya. Um, it means it's like, there's something that kind of like pokes at you. Um, and the reason I had that reaction is because I almost feel like, so um, for me, it's it was two rounds of grad school debt. And, you know, I can go into a little bit more about how we got there. Um, but I went to both law school and then after that business school, I didn't do them at the same time. Um, and I think neither of them, you know, was necessarily with the idea that I would be like a high earner by the time I came out of it. But, um, but I, it was like an investment into the kind of work that I wanted to do or the things that I was interested in. Um, and so it almost felt more like a, like a gift to myself. Um, but I, I like the framing of the investment in myself <laughs> um, more. It makes me feel less bad about it. So I, yeah, I kind of go back and forth because, you know, I know that it was such an enormous privilege for me to be able to take on gra uh, grad school debt because I had no, you know, undergrad debt, um, because I don't have other forms of debt, because I'm you know, also relatively healthy. And because now I am like a naturalized citizen. And I know that all of those things aren't necessarily available to everyone. Um, and so I will start off by saying, like, I'm extremely grateful um, for the position that 
I was in um, that allowed me to get grad school debt and to invest in myself and to um, invest in the kind of, of work that I wanted to do and invest in the learning that I wanted to have. And I mean, part of it is just the truth of like, who has $200,000 lying around? <laughs> like, if I you're going to go to law school or business school. Um, people do. <laughs> the answer is some people do, which is like a whole <laughs> like, yeah. part of the conversation. But yeah. part of it is a lot of people take out at least some, if not most, of these graduate programs um, in loans because of even if it's not like the highest potential um, income you're seeking, you're still putting yourself in a in a different position um, to to make the money to be able to pay it back. So it is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like you said, like we we wouldn't be here on this podcast. Obviously, we wouldn't have met if we didn't go to business school. Um, I think both of our careers have definitely shifted in kind of all the ways that you expect them to to, to after business school. Just like being able to access different types of work or have, um, yeah, or be able to show that you can like take on different types of responsibilities or different types of roles. So I think that even though staring down that debt is still like a lot it's like it's a it's a big number out there um I feel like the decisions to go to business school and that money like it it still feels like it was the right choice um I actually like that you think of it also as like a gift to yourself because I think that that's also a healthy way to to not just be calculating like have I maximized the outcome of this Mm -hmm. like investment um, no, I'm grateful for that. <laughs> um, how do you feel about debt and what are some of the, I guess, calculations or thoughts that you had um, deciding to go back to school, um, deciding to, you know, borrow so that you could, um, yeah, so that you could, you could go to SOM and um, how do you feel about that decision now? You know, if I'm thinking totally logically about it, I'm really thankful for the decision. On the other hand, um, you know, especially because of the pandemic, I left Connecticut. I left the whole East Coast. Been living on the West, splitting time between Arizona, Colorado, California, Washington, like um, in small towns where. I'm no longer surrounded by people who made like a similar choice or like are living a similar life. And so it, it's easy to sort of fall back into questioning if it was the right choice. Um, I had a good job. I'm sure I could have gotten like another different good job. Um, but like without all of this debt, right? Like I would just be in like a very different financial decision or financial place if I, instead of getting into debt and losing two years of earnings, if I had just kept working. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it's sometimes I have kind of mixed feelings about it because again, I'm just surrounded by people now who didn't make a decision like that. Um, but I'm starting a new job on Monday. I will be traveling to San Francisco for that job. Um, all of my friends, like you Very from business exciting. school, who I talked to, who did make a similar, <laughs> who did make a similar decision, um, 
like I always feel better about it. Like talking to other people who are in this, yes, in debt, but also like doing really cool challenging work because of the opportunity to go to business school um like reinforces that like it was the right decision but yeah I mean it was it felt like a big risk for sure like it's not something that felt comfortable it wasn't something that I had like examples of in my family um it was something that took a lot of support from like the people around me and my previous job to say like you know, this type, like this type of risk is worth it. Like you should, Mm. um, think about it as a risk, but think about it as an investment. And like, this is the type of investment and investment in yourself that can really pay off long-term. So I'm definitely Mm. thankful for the people who have taken those types of risks, who were able to give me that kind of feedback. Um, cause yeah, I mean, we're, you know, a year and a half out of graduation and, and yeah, I, I do still sort of wonder, like, was that the the best thing to do with, like, my money and time? And I think the answer is yes, but I definitely still think about it. Yeah. Yeah, so much of that resonates with me. Um, I, like, also didn't really have examples in my family of, you know, uh, of, of folks who have, like, taken on educational debt or could sort of counsel me through what this process looks like or, um, or anything like that. I mean... Um, like when I was, when I took on my first round of um, educational loans for, for law school, I, I, you know, I think I've mentioned this before, but I, I went to law school because I wanted to like bring back this powerful tool of a, of a JD, right? Like back to my community and be in the nonprofit space and work with immigrant communities and like all of that screams, I'm not going to be making any money, right? Um, <laughs> but and so I like applied to a bunch of scholarships and the, the biggest one actually came from um, or the biggest one of the school that I wanted to come from like was at Penn. And I think I'd mentioned this before. Um, but yeah, and, and that would have absolutely meant less loans. Right. Like I would have um, had, you know, only living expenses to take care of um, and I could have probably covered you know, a bit of that with savings and whatnot. But. Um, Then I got really great advice from students who were going into the public interest um, sector, like at Penn. And they said, like, do not go here if that's if that's what you want to do. Like, you will get no support. Everything is stacked against you. So go to the school that you actually want to go to. Um, And then there's also this thing called the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program, where, you know, if you're in public service for 10 years, the federal government will forgive your loans. Right. Um, and so that was the first time when I was like, "Aha, uh-huh, okay, I can actually, I can take on loans, and um, and and I can make like life in a nonprofit work." Um, and so, yeah, that's that's sort of I think what drove my decision the first time around. Um, and then I guess the second time around, right? Um, and this makes I guess less logical sense um, to your point about <laughs> about logic, um, but. Yeah, I think I'm I'm grateful again for the privilege that I have of of not just, you know, um being in a place where I could I could take loans but also being from a family um although, you know, I'm a child of immigrants, right? Like my family wasn't isn't necessarily like all about just like kind of building generational wealth per se, but they've instilled in me this kind of follow your dreams sort of ethos, which I'm really, really grateful for. Um, 
And so, yeah, I, uh, I decided to go get my MBA because of the gaps that I saw in the nonprofit sector. Um, and I, yeah, and again, I wasn't planning on necessarily going into the for-profit space. I thought that even after business school, I would just go straight back into the nonprofit space and I could continue to, you know, add on my years to the, um, the public interest loan forgiveness program. Um, but yeah, but then COVID hit and every place, every nonprofit I was interviewing with, literally they started with, we're interviewing you now, um, but we honestly don't know if this job will exist in three months, in six months. Um, and I literally kept hearing that same line over and over and over again. And so, um, and so now, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, sort of diverged from that path and I'm, I'm working on a startup and that's also, I know, because I, I have the privilege to get to kind of work on a startup, but anyway, I digress. Um, all of that to say, I think it's, it was really important to have people kind of all along the way telling me that there are programs available where you can make it work to also sort of like balance debt with, you know, not making a ton of money and that that debt doesn't have to control your choices per se, and that there are ways to sort of manage it um, and to tap into the resources, both federal and otherwise, um, to make that feasible. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting that you just said that because I had similar I guess similar thoughts around debt. I wasn't certain that I would go back into the government or nonprofit space, but when I went to business school, I already had five years with the federal government. And so mm-hmm. I assumed if I didn't go straight back that I would probably go back. And so it it felt like a, um, I don't know, if a, maybe not a safety net, but maybe like a really good plan B. Like mm-hmm. if my sort of jump into the private sector didn't work. Mm. Um, I knew plenty of people in the federal government with law school debt, business school debt, who were doing the um, public interest loan forgiveness program that that you described. And so I kind of knew that that was out there. But yeah, it is interesting now um, shifting into the private sector and having to like really think about how much money do you have to make (laughs) to Mm -hmm. make it worth it to work in the private sector? Um, And of course, you know, I'm also kind of at a startup. It's a little bit more established, a couple more years along, um, but you're very early stage. And so it really is this like, you know, longer term bet in order to pay off the debt. Um, And it's, yeah, I mean, it's just complicated. Like it doesn't feel good to have debt, it feels, I would say, normal, um, which is, mm-hmm. I don't know, good and bad. Um, but it, it's just sort of part of it, right? It's part of all those calculations. It's part of, all right, if I have to move, how much can I afford for rent when I'm also paying down basically more than a mortgage worth of debt every month? Right. Um, it, it definitely is a big part of that like day-to-day decision-making now. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, when I'm like meticulously planning out our budget for the the startup and, you know, how much we can afford to pay me 
Um, it's like I have to make very, yeah, kind of like critical decisions around, you know, how much I'm going to pay myself so that I can pay like the maximum or not maximum, the most um, uh, efficient, effective <laughs> uh, rate of loans um, to make this work. So. So I have kind of an interesting shift sort of like question for you. Um, and, and I'm guessing you probably have similar thoughts that, that I do on this, but um, the, so one of the things which, you know, we should know, and maybe we'll link this in the notes um, recently, the um, department of education came out with basically a note that said, if you had been trying to do this public interest loan forgiveness program, but for some reason it didn't work. Um, mm-hmm. turns out the program was managed really poorly and the communication mm-hmm. was really bad. And so they're basically trying to go back and fix that. And so part of the issue was your loans have to be in a certain type. You have to have a certain type of federal loan. Right. And if you consolidated, refinanced, moved to private, which is part part of that, um, your loans were no longer um, eligible for that forgiveness. So they've basically gone back and they're trying to fix it this year, which is awesome. Like that is huge. Very excited that they're doing that. Um, But here's what I'm thinking now that I'm actually paying my loans. The interest rates on those federal loans is so high. (laughs) It's so like, it's so, it's so high. Like if we were to refinance, each of us, our loans based on our income, our experience, our other assets, I am confident that both of us would have very reasonable interest rates. Right. But instead, I think the lowest rate on any one of my loans is like 6%. And that's the lowest. Yeah. Same. But we can't refinance them them because there's this like potential future of going back to nonprofit or government and getting them forgiven. Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's wild. Um, I didn't realize until so luckily, I had very good like PSLF counseling while I was in law school. So all of mine were in the right kind of um, qualifying direct loans, et cetera, et cetera. But I was shocked when you know, all this stuff started coming out this year that only 550 or 5,500 borrowers have seen their debt wiped clean from this program since it's since its existence. And I guarantee you there are more than 5,500 um, 5, borrowers um, who have worked in the public sector for the past 10 years, right? Like who have, um, who, have, who have loans. So I didn't realize how mismanaged and how crazy and how funky all of this was um, until people started talking about it this year, A. Um, and then B, kind of to your point about the balance that we have to make between interest loan or interest rates and um, and opting to stay in this federal program, like I, the thought didn't even cross my mind back when I was so sure that I would spend my entire career in the nonprofit space. Like the thought did not even like literally did not cross my mind. Um, but now you know, same same here, right? Like I also the lowest loan that I have is six percent. And it goes, um, I, I don't remember, I think almost not, I wouldn't say up to 8%, but like seven point something. 
Um, and it's extremely high and that piles up <laughs> so quickly. Um, but for me, like it makes no sense for me to consult to consolidate my loans even with a lower interest rate because the amount that I've been banking on getting forgiven because of the number of years that I've already put into the public sector, it just like does not make sense. Um, but yeah, like real trade-offs. Um, what are your thoughts around it? Like, do you feel like it's something that you're thinking a little bit more about doing now, now that you are in the private sector? Yeah, I've thought a lot about it. And I think that I've come down somewhere around, um, I'm going to kind of push off making that decision. Uh, mm-hmm. My goal is to be, is if, you know, if everything works out, if this current job is the place for me for a really long time, um, my goal would be to pay off my loans in significantly less than the standard 10 years, um, in which case yeah. the interest doesn't really matter that much um, if I'm just paying more than the um, monthly uh, minimum payment. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of, I, I've thought about it a lot because it, it, it would definitely save me money even if I do pay it off quicker, but I'm, because there's this uncertainty around it. Right. And so, um, I've kind of decided to give it a couple of years. Um, I just paid down the interest that accrued during business school, which is always a fun, larger than it feels like it should be number. Um, basically all of the, uh, support that I got from SOM post grad because I was working for a nonprofit just went to paying down the interest that had already accrued and I just paid off the balance. Um, so that's kind of what I'm keeping right. an eye on is like, can I pay it off so that interest isn't accruing and then maybe in a year or two refinance and continue to pay it off quicker? I think that that would be my my goal, but you know, I'm I'm not totally risk averse. Um, I am still thinking about all of the options. And yeah, like you said, keeping it in the type of loan that could be forgiven after 10 years in public service feels worth it, um, at least for a while, just to sort of manage that. But yeah, I am, you know, if anyone's listening in the Biden administration, would love if they just like dropped all those interest, um, student loan interest payments to like, I don't know, maybe 0%, 1%, 2%. I don't that like something, just anything under, under 6% because one of the, you know, we know this as people with student debt, but not everyone knows part of the, um, thing that happened during COVID is that, um, you didn't have to pay on your student loan payments. And so people who are doing this public interest loan forgiveness program have basically gotten, gosh, what is it now? Like 18 months of quote free, like payments towards their um, loans being forgiven and interest wasn't accruing, which has been really nice for you know, thinking about, about paying that back. So totally. yeah, if any, if, if anyone in the administration is, is listening, you know, I hear you can't quite get, um, 
general loan forgiveness happening. But if you can just like lower the interest payments, that would be huge. Ooh, plus one on that. (laughs) Yeah, the past 18 months have been so helpful. Thank you. And um, please continue in some way. Um, yeah, I think, you know, something that I also wanted to sort of flag or call out is that I think I, you know, on top of kind of like the personal reasons for taking on loans that I've, um, that I mentioned, I think I also have kind of not professional reasons, but reasons sort of outside of myself too. And something that I've observed. Um, and, and I think I briefly mentioned how, you know, one of the reasons I went back to, to business school after being in the nonprofit space pay, space for some time is because of the gaps that I, I saw, right? And some of those gaps are around leadership in nonprofits. Um, and uh, there's a lot there, and I'm not going to go into all of the reasons why I went to business school because of the gaps I saw in nonprofits. But you know, one part of it is also the fact that um, there were a lot of nonprofits that were being led by like privileged white folks, right, um, who could afford to have been in the nonprofit space for a long time and, you know, get paid less, right, and whatnot, um, and then make it into leadership roles. Um, and then they would be in places and settings where they're making policies and setting agendas for people who look nothing like them and experiences that they cannot identify with. Um, and that had led to a lot of, I don't know, being disconnected, I guess, at best. Um, but, you know, it, that kind of felt sort of neocolonial, right? And I, I, I think that has to do, and I think you know, again, to your point about debt being used as like a tool um, and and kind of smart navigation of debt being used as a tool, I'll say not debt per se, um, I think could also be used right in a way that increases equity and increases, um, yeah, increases, yeah, increases, I'll just call it equity, increases equity in spaces where um, a lot of decision making is taking place. And so I think, I think this also applies like kind of in the the startup space. I know that we've like been mostly talking about nonprofits, but in the startup space as well, like I'm not getting any sort of, you know, uh, uh, um, repayment benefits or anything like that working on a startup. But Again, most people who get to work on startups have some level of privilege um, just because of the, the amount of risk it takes and, and that type of thing. And um, honestly, I'm so grateful that I, I can be in this space because I didn't realize it before. And we've talked about this in our startup episodes of how just, um, you know, startups that are just kind of starting up now, like they have the potential to kind of shape the future, shape the economy, shape the way things will go. Um, And if the people who are in those spaces are all people who can like afford to be there, like imagine the kind of future that we're creating, right? So um, I'm, again, just like kind of grateful that I get to participate in that as a result of my ability to use debt, educational debt as, um, as a tool to have like gone to business school and kind of pivoted into the space. So, um, 
yeah. yeah, I'm I'm glad that you brought that up. Um because I think that you know, <laughs> you I mean you kind of said this at the beginning um as far as like, you know, navigating or really thinking about processing your own thoughts about debt and I think that that very much links to how uncomfortable people are about talking about money, right? Like from a not just like money in general, but like from a specific like here is how much money I make. Here is how much debt I have. Um, maybe not on a podcast, but like at least with like your friends. And uh, I was having a conversation with some business school friends the other day, where we did like kind of finally tell each other like how much we were making. And I was like, why aren't we having these conversations more? And when yeah. I think about this on the debt side. I wish that there had been more conversations or more openness when we were at business school about who had financed their way there through debt because yeah. I th- I just think it's interesting. Um, I don't think that it necessarily matters or should matter to like your value in the class. I think that um, education environments try really hard to have these like egalitarian spaces where it doesn't matter where you came from. It's not perfect. I would say Yale tries pretty hard to do that. Um, And certainly within our SOM classes, I like felt them, you know, trying hard, hard to do that. But on the other hand, like, you know, you and I have talked about it, but most of the people we know didn't take out debt or significant debt to go to business school, right? So that's just the truth is that there's a lot of people who are going to business school who either had very high paying jobs, consulting, banking, something like that before, and were able to save the money, which is awesome that there are young people still in their 20s who are able to save that much. Um, And there's a lot of people whose family helps them, which again, that's amazing that there's families that can do that, right? That can write those really big checks for for their families, um, for their kids. But we didn't really talk about it. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's just such a good point. Um, it is an access thing and it is a who are we giving the tools to be leaders in these different spaces, I was looking up some stats just around debt before in in prepping for this podcast. And there's this really interesting report from the New York Fed and the top line, which is how I found it, was this really interesting stat where they found that basically a dollar of federal funding increases loans, like student loans, by about 60 cents. And that seems weird. And so there's like a lot of criticisms about like, does federal funding for these education programs actual, like, are they subsidizing or are they somehow adding to the increased cost of tuition? And for the most part, that's what the paper is about. It is an interesting sort of thought, but they make this really important point at the end, which is, you know, does this fact that there seems to be maybe not causation, but some sort of um, connection between the federal funding and increase in loans. Does that mean that federal Mm. loans, federal, like, does that mean it's bad? Like, does that mean it's a bad policy? And they basically said, 
we can't answer that question because what this analysis doesn't do is actually understand how loans have increased participation in these education programs. Mm. And that is a totally different assessment than just it costs more, right? Totally. And so it's it's really nuanced, right? Because there's mm-hmm. if you're coming to education without privilege and privilege specifically meaning money in this situation, then you're coming out with loans and you're like already wow. in like a worse economic place. Um, and so there's obviously like a negative there, but, but yeah, I just thought it was really interesting that it, it is kind of nuanced around, um, yeah, debt is a tool. It, it can, there's some real negatives to it. And it is also the only tool we really have, at least in education right now, um, aside from smaller grant programs to really increase equity in those programs. Um, yeah. I really like that point, um, like totally spot on about it being a question of like access and how do you make things more equitable, which begs the question of like, why is education so expensive in the first place? Um, and not just education, but all of the other areas where we see debt, we're like, we're talking about this from like the debt lens, but really it it actually, we should be talking about this from a cost lens, right? Like why is there such high levels of medical debt in the U.S., right? Like, why is there such high levels of consumer credit card debt in the U.S.? Like, why is there such high levels of education debt in the U.S.? Um, and it's hard to say, right, that it's because, like, because there's this, you know, um, this correlation between, you know, offering more federal funding for loans, and that's why there's now more education debt. Well, it's also because education just, like, really expensive, Um so I feel like it's, yeah, it's a hard, it's a hard question, but I think it's like when we're talking about debt, it's really hard to talk about just from like the angle of what it means to like borrow and to pay off. And and we should also really be talking about why is it that we need so much debt in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's crazy. I like, I, um you know, in research for this podcast. And because for me, like, um, as you mentioned, Sarah, like, education debt is the thing that's the most um, kind of prominent in my life. And, you know, luckily, and so I don't have to worry about medical debt or credit card debt, things like that. But it's it's like a very big reality for a lot of people. Um, apparently, in the US, more than 50% of the population has medical debt. Like, that's crazy to me. Um, so, yeah, I, I I don't know, right, like, what that means. And I don't know how we, like, tackle this issue of debt um, other than to, you know, as we're doing, like, share about our own experiences and hopefully get more people talking more openly about it and hopefully um, that we can, you know, create change somehow, some way. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it is hard. Um, And I mean, like you said, I feel so lucky that the debt I have is this one specific type of debt. Like no one that I actually tell about it, like, like looks negatively at me, right? They're like, oh, of course, like you went, you went to Yale to get your MBA. 
you have debt, whatever, right? They like look at the type of work that I do. They're like, yeah, of course you'll be able to pay it back. Um, There is no like negative stigma associated with graduate school debt. Um, That doesn't make it any less burdensome, but at least there is no social stigma associated with it. So I am like similarly like so thankful that uh, medical debt and credit card debt are not something that I have had to deal with. Um, because that's, you know, it, yeah, you, I mean, like you said, the, the over 50% of the population having, um, did you say medical debt? Yeah. Yeah. That's like, I mean, that's just like such a wild number and you're right. We need to have like a totally separate episode where we just talk about like, why does healthcare cost so much? And is there any way here in the U.S. under our current system or even future systems as they change to make that more reasonable for consumers? Like, is there even a way? So many thoughts. So many thoughts. (laughs) So (laughs) we will definitely revisit this. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like to your point, Sarah, about like the lack of or um, the fact that with educational debt there's no stigma around it because the assumption is is that it was like our choice and it's the assumption is that it's like for this kind of quote-unquote upward trajectory right um and the truth of the matter is it's like yeah if you are graduating with a law degree or with a business degree you do have the option right of making more or making enough to kind of cover and pay back those loans right and so it's like a totally different type of debt than you know medical or credit card debt which probably isn't planned for right like it's probably Mm -hmm. something that you have to take on in like worst moments of emergencies right or whatever it is and so I feel like it's it is a completely different ball game um and yeah again, just grateful that it's it's education debt that we're we're talking about and that kind of looms large for the two of us. Um, yeah, just like one other kind of like, you know, on the the line of medical and credit card debt, I saw this very kind of timely New York Times article on how credit cards are not just like that for your finances, but also for your health. Um, and it talks about this like University of Missouri study that found that the stress of carrying credit card through your adulthood is linked to poor health, um, as you can imagine. And people who have consistently high levels of credit card debt are sixty or sorry, are seventy six percent more likely to have pain. Um, including joint and stiffness that interferes with daily activities um, and that that lasted even after the debt had been paid down. Um, And so it's like this vicious cycle of you probably use that credit card, you know, in a time of underemployment or because there was some emergency. And then that ends up having a negative impact on your health for the rest of your life. And then what does that mean then for your earning potential or for, right? for loss of income because you are not able to um, to do your daily activities in the way that you were able to once before, right? And so, it's I feel like I don't know when I when I read that like it was again kind of triggering for me because like I've you know seen family members deal with this 
you know, one of my um, boyfriends in college, and I guess this kind of ties us into educational debt and what a privilege that is again. Um, but one of my college boyfriends was undocumented. I don't remember if I mentioned this before, but um, because he couldn't take on federal loans, he had to rely on credit cards to like get him through through college. And so the impacts that that had on him, right, on and on his health, and and you know, I am not in touch with him now, so I don't know what his life looks like now, right? But it's yeah, it's it's really kind of staggering to think about. Um, you know, for us, we were talking about how like, you know, six to 8% interest is really high for loans. But imagine if you had to take that out on your credit card, like, right, with double digit um, interest rates, like, it's, I don't know, something's really broken in our system. Um, uh, yeah, and I think, yeah, I think thinking about rethinking debt, talking about it more openly, and um, figuring out ways to, yeah, to make it, I don't know, make it better, make it more manageable, right? Make it less negatively impactful on health. Like, I feel like those are all things that we um, should be talking about um, and working on. Maybe this will will lead to um, a topic for another episode, but, um, you know, you, you mentioned we, you know, we we're we're talking about this from a debt lens, from the consumer lens, but the cost lens is really important. What's the cost to society of people who are physically ill because of how much debt they're in? Yeah. Um, what are the long-term consequences? There are associations with Alzheimer's and stress, right? And obviously yeah. carrying that type of debt is is a big um source of stress. And so you know, at at some point, it's like this really challenging intersection of like, where does personal choice, the situation in life you've been put in, responsibility for the government, or just like the eventual cost to the government for like all of those things, like government policy, um, it's like so interconnected. Right. It's like that, like there's no free, it's the whole, like there's no free lunch, like someone pays for it. Like there is no, oh, you just have debt. It's like, "Mm, if people are literally getting sick, then, then in a way society will pay for it. Um, Which I think is a really interesting, yeah. Interesting next, next point. But yeah, I, I like kind of your, your comment there of closing it that like, we just need to talk about it more and just really start to question like, how does this work? what are the real choices that we're making? Um, How can we make informed choices, right? We both talked about having great support before graduate school, during graduate school, around loans, which I think is really important and not everyone has. Um, And how can we also like be critical of the the cost um, of the system or the cost to access equity in the first place? Sarah, you've once again, taken everything that we've talked about and just managed to summarize it um, in such a neat, nice way. Um, So I'm thankful for that. And I feel like we've definitely, rather than answering any questions today, like just opened up the door to more discussions and questions that we have um, to address in the coming weeks and, and months. So 
Thank you for listening and for bearing with some background noise, which may have included dogs, parents, and who knows what else you heard this week, such as working from home. Anyways, thank you for joining us again. And as you know, we love hearing your feedback. So please let us know what you think. You can email us at hello at songandsarah.com or find us on Instagram at F-I-N-G underscore ethical.